Welcome to Voices of the Valleys, a series interviewing growers, entrepreneurs, educators, and technologists who are inventing new solutions for today's and tomorrow's challenges on the farm. Here's your host, lead for Western Growers Centers for Innovation and Technology, Dennis Donahue. Good morning and welcome to Voices of the Valley, sponsored by Novahome, who helps growers grow with heart and soil. We have a special St. Patrick's Day edition of Voices of the Valley. We're joined this morning by one of the founders of uh, Apis Protect, an Irish company. And uh, Patrick Whalen will be uh, spending a few minutes with, with us this morning and uh, we'll look forward to uh, hearing what he has to say. Today we're joined by Dr. Patrick Whalen, uh, who is the uh, co-founder and chief science officer for Apis Protect. And uh, one of the things you're going to find out on this uh, Friday before uh, St. Patrick's Day, he is he's from the Emerald Isle. So, Doctor, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Dennis. It's a great pleasure to be here. And uh, I've been doing a lot of driving around California, looking at your amazingly large state coming from a little place like Ireland where if you drive six hours you're into the sea on any side and uh, a lot of driving here well if you if you if you go one way we can we can we can generally guarantee you'll find it you'll find an ocean though with California being pretty diverse there are there are a lot of bodies of water so we can uh, hopefully we can make you feel right at home but I, I've certainly enjoyed our conversations about uh, uh, there's a lot in California that reminds you of uh, Ireland but I want to talk to you about uh, Apis Protect and what you're doing, and so talk talk a little bit about the company, uh, the vision, and then uh, and then let's spend a few minutes talking about uh, uh, how you're really hitting a market uh, right on time. This whole discussion about bees, which you're going to tell us about, uh, is is really a timely and important conversation. So I'll turn it over to you to talk a little bit about the company, the vision, and uh, why it's important. Yeah, if I can go back, uh, Dennis, to the way this this started. Um, I was a university professor in Ireland teaching uh, conservation biology and ecology in University College Cork. And I had a PhD student uh, called Fiona Edwards Murphy. And um, she, she, had a, she was an engineering, electronic engineering student, and she approached um, the, the head of the zoology and ecology an environmental science department at the time. It's called Biological Earth and Environmental Science. Funnily enough, the acronym is BEES. And um, so she said she wanted to use the Internet of Things to work on honeybees. And she had a supervisor, uh, Dr. Manuel Popovici, um, in engineering. And so she was looking for a biologist supervisor. And, and she felt that the Internet of Things had a lot of promise and wanted to work on something that she felt was worthwhile. So. She had to learn about bees very quickly, and I had to learn an awful about it in, about engineering very quickly as well. So she did a four-year PhD on putting sensors in beehives. Um, she was well ahead of the field at the time, and um, looking to see, you know, how much can you tell about what's going on in a beehive from what the sensors are telling you? Well, I have to ask before you go on, and I'm more anxious for you to do that. So she wanted to do something worthwhile. But she had to learn a lot about bees really, really quickly. So, did she have some familiarity to, or she was just simply drawn to them for some reason? Well, her grandfather was a beekeeper, ah, okay. and, there you and go. whenever you get anybody who's interested in bees, yeah. they invariably have a grandfather okay. or an uncle or a, <laughs> well, a grandaunt even who good was a beekeeper. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, she was interested in that, um, but she had a steep learning curve, um, a couple of stings and things like that. Okay. And uh, so, so she worked with a small number of beehives uh, in my garden in Ireland. 
And um, she turned out some very interesting information. She was measuring temperature, carbon dioxide, humidity, uh, sound, and what we call acceleration, which means if the hive gets a movement in any shape, whether it's knocked over by a cow um, or whether it's stolen, if there's any jerky movement to it, we can pick that up. Um, so the information was picked up in the hive, relayed via the phone network back to her computers inside in her lab in the university. So when she finished her doctorate, she felt that this was an opportunity to convert into a business. So um, she met up with this um, guy with very considerable business experience, financial marketing experience, Andrew Wood, and she asked me as well, would I join the company? So I was coming up to retirement and I felt, you know, something that had been almost my hobby uh, for many years, I've been beekeeping for about 20 years before that, whether I'd like to convert it into a so job. So you're a good advertisement for you can become an entrepreneur at any age. It's you not, can become an entrepreneur. You, you just don't have to be a 20-something and young and struggling. Huh? No, no, no. I, I, I've, I've been around a long time. I've got lots of gray hair. And, uh, you know, I still have the energy of a young guy. Oh, good. Well, there's hope, then the, good. There's hope for the rest of us. Then. There, well, there's, it's all out there to, to be taken good advantage of. So anyway, Fiona, um, she set up this company... Um, early in late 2016, early 2017. And uh, I joined them then as a co-founder once it got off the ground. And um, so we've been developing a, a new model of sensor. Uh, the new model is currently on trial in over 200 different beehives in different countries around the world. And whereas a lot of businesses that do bee monitoring, one of the things they do is they can supply you a lot of data, but in some cases, they haven't done much trials. Um, in other cases, they've been set up by beekeepers who don't know much about engineers or engineers who don't know much about beekeeping. Um, but I, I think we, we have a, an ideal formula in that we have a business, we have a scientist, and we have an engineer. We'll talk, talk a little bit about the business, and we've, we've had uh, some conversations. One of the things I'm struck by uh, is the array of crops that pollination matters to. I, you know, uh, in our neck of the woods, obviously almonds is an easy one, but uh, uh, there, there's a whole gamut of, of crops that this is an important, important conversation with. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? What What are the array of crops if if uh, you're growing them? You're 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 thinking about bees. Yeah, it, it's inter it's it's a rel very relevant point because when we were looking at where in the world um, we wanted to do our trials, well, we're based in Ireland in Cork. But most of the world's crops that are sort of in commercial production, large-scale production in agricultural setting are in the United States. Um, we had a common language with the United States. And, you know, sometimes people say Ireland is closer to the U.S. than it is to mainland Europe. Um, closer to Boston to, than to Berlin was one of the phrases in politics in Ireland many years ago. So um, we looked at it and, you know, you've got all the crops here. So there is a... A statement that's put out there, you know, that pollinators in general, and this just doesn't mean honeybees, you know, this means bumblebees, it means insects, it means flies, but pollinators in general, they affect about 35% of production of the world's crops. Now, in some cases, like almonds, almonds rely on honeybees only. Um, and in other cases, they rely to a lesser or a greater extent. So some crops will have their production increased by 40% by the presence of honeybees. Um, in some cases, if you get honeybees and wild bees, they increase the presence even further by another 10 or 20%. So if you grow strawberries or raspberries, they can get naturally pollinated out in the wild, you know, um, by other insects. But one of the advantages about honeybees is that if you're growing your crops, let's say in the spring, 
Um, most of your wild pollinators are in very small colonies, like bumblebees in Europe might be about 25 bees in a colony. But in the spring, a colony of honeybees will have five to 10,000 honeybees inside it. So if you want very quick pollination, and from a crop producer's viewpoint, whether you're producing a commercial crop for food or whether you're producing a seed crop, you need to optimize your production. And when you're doing that, if you can pollinate it all within the same time interval, it means that all your seeds mature at the same time, so you have a lower number of unripe seeds and a lower number of overripe seeds. So you can target your production to optimize it very, very accurately. But you need a lot of pollinators at the same time, and honeybees are the only ones that have big, well, colonies of five to 10,000 in the spring, but they can have 50 to 60,000 in the main crop period. So this is why you know, most of the world in temperate climates anyway, um, uses honeybees because you have this instant rush of pollinators that you can provide. And of course, the fact that they're in a hive, you can move them around in a box. So you can move them. If you're, if you, for, in, for example, if you're producing seeds for the carrot crop, what you can do, carrots will be pollinated. Generally, white flowers are pollinated by flies. But if you put enough honeybees in a carrot crop, you can pollinate all your carrots very quickly within a short period of time. Then you can move your honeybees to another crop. Now, that's more difficult to do with other pollinators. But the role of native pollinators is also important because, say for instance, where, where I live at home in Ireland, um, our bumblebees are, are tougher animals. And so a bumblebee will be out flying from about 6 a.m. in the summer. So they can be pollinating things like beans and strawberries and cranberries and things like that from about 6 a.m. And by the time it gets to about 10 a.m., that's when the honeybees wake up and, and they start pollinating until about 4 or 5 p.m. But the bumblebees are still pollinating later. So um, also bumblebees can to a certain extent pollinate in the rain, whereas honeybees won't. So as pollination science is getting more sophisticated, we're, we're realizing that yes, honeybees are good. Yes, honeybees can do a big job in a short space of time. And some things rely only on honeybees. But the mixture of honeybees and native pollinators is an ideal situation for optimizing things. Um, so this, um, we felt that in recent years, you know, we had all these problems with what was called colony collapse disorder. We have uh, a mite, which is like a tick, and that lives on honeybees, um, which has been spread throughout the world by, if you like, globalization. Uh, Australia doesn't have it yet. And... Um, this is, is transferring disease amongst honeybee colonies. So the mite will jump on one honeybee, and if that honeybee flies in to rob honey from another hive, the mite will jump off there. So the California issue or opportunity is uh, the opportunity to grow the bee population also? Correct, correct. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you, you have a very important industry of migratory beekeepers. So, right. so there's, mil, you know, thousands of beehives moving for the almond season. Right. But also those beehives can be used on apples. You know, in other parts of the country, they can be used on blueberries. Um, they can be used on sunflowers. And, and whether it's main crop production for human consumption or whether it's seed production, you know, things like um, sunflower, things like onion crops, squash, cucumber, melons. Well, and even avocados are in the mix, aren't they? Uh, avocados are also in the mix. Yeah, which is, yeah. A, which is a big... Uh, big crop in California and, and Mexico, you yeah. know, in our trade areas. So. And, and then again, you know, your ability to, to move the bees about and, and the fact that you get lots of bees at one time is extremely useful. Instead of, you know, if you have a, you want to build a house, you have, you bring in a crew of two builders or you bring in a crew of a hundred builders, your house will get built a lot quicker, you know. 
But you know, I, I, I was kind of struck when you said early on Fiona got stung a, stung a few times, and, and you know, I, uh, uh, you know, I've been around the ag scene for for a couple de- decades, but uh, you know, most, mostly on the uh, central coast. Uh, you know, wh- what are what are the issues? I assume there is a uh, handle with care component to all, all of this. Yes, there is. But one of the one of the things that's really struck me, and, and this has nothing to do with business, I suppose, but um, the honeybees that we have in Northwest Europe in Ireland, they can be fairly feisty. Um, so you need to be well protected. And uh, I've come over here, and a lot of your honeybees, and whereas they're obviously they've been moved around a lot, and they're they're quite a genetic mix, they they tend to be a lot yellower. They look more like what we call the Italian subspecies. Um, but they're incredibly tame. Now, I've been stung a few times here, um, but you know, once you handle them with care, and you know, when I'm doing it, I've seen YouTube videos of people in the US you know, handling bees without, without gloves, and I've done it, and you know, they're not near as feisty as the ones we have at home. And also, the way I'm doing things, because I, I like to use my phone when I'm filming things, the phone doesn't tend to work through a glove. You know, yeah. so you have to do use it with your bare hands. But but I've got some nice shots, and I've, I've, I'm just so amazed as to how calm your bees are. This makes them easier to handle, um, easier to work with. But you know, you need to be a professional beekeeper. You need training. You need to know how to do that. What kind of what kind of reception are you getting in California as they hear about what Apis Protect is is doing? Yeah, um, lots of people are very interested. Okay, uh, on two levels. The first one is that all the world cares about bees now. Um, they're all very worried about the plight of bees and the amount of diseases that are afflicting them, the way these diseases are being transferred, the the amount of, let's say, uh, chemicals, pharmaceuticals that are being used, um, also the level of habitat destruction that's being carried out or you know, removal, elimination, modification, um, are all pressures that are affecting the honeybees. And so... You know, to a certain extent, it's almost like whales were uh, decades ago, that many people now are really interested in honeybees. And, and of course, I suppose there's a sort of self-interest as well, because, you know, a lot of our food... Now, you can say that potatoes don't rely on honeybees, wheat doesn't rely on honeybees, millet doesn't rely on honeybees, bananas don't rely on honeybees, but the world would be very boring if, if we only had to eat that. Right. So, right. you know, we have strawberries, we have raspberries, we have cranberries, we have blueberries... And um, all these huge apples, this huge variety of crops that we have and fruits, they're all that. And in California, maybe because of that food production, people realize how important it is. Yeah, no, no, there's there's a huge interest in in what you're doing. I know that. And then, you know, the other thing I was struck by is as we visited, and you just alluded to it uh, uh, as it relates to the environment, uh, you've talked about... uh, the relationship between bees and habitat management, and uh, I know I know that's something that uh, a lot of folks in California think about. Can you talk a little bit further about that? Yeah, um, there there are initiatives, and there has been some research carried out uh, recently, and not not only in the U.S. but in Europe and in China um, as well. And it's it's all in the published literature, where people are now through experiments, you know, which which haven't been so directly translated into the field yet, though there are some initiatives, people realize that the quality of the food that the bees eat in terms of pollen and nectar and the diversity of that is extremely important in their bee health. Um, Things like 
that the bee microbiome, that what's, what's inside in their intestines, um, the, the, the ability for the baby bees to grow, um, the ability for bees to metabolize, if you like, to digest some of the chemicals in the environment, the, if you like, non-natural chemicals in the environment, um, is affected by the quality of the food they eat. So um, there are initiatives now where, where people are growing if you like, bee-friendly plants. And this is not just for honeybees, it's for bumblebees. Because, for instance, beans can self-pollinate, um, but because they have a deep tube in their flower, they can be pollinated also by bumblebees. So, so these flower meadows or flower gardens, not only are they good for honeybees, but they're also good for native bees and other native insects. So there's more a drive on this, and, and lots of countries have what are called, you know, their pollinator plans, lots of states have pollinator initiatives, and this is going on across the world. And people are not only doing it in their gardens as, you know, this is my part in helping pollinator conservation and helping agriculture, but it's, it's also done at a state level, it's done at agriculture levels, where in some countries now the the green strips on the sides of the, your motorways, your freeways, these are being planted up with bee-friendly flowers. So that instead of having grass going on for miles, you know, you get pretty landscapes with poppies and, and all sorts of pretty flowers. And, and this is a really concrete way of, of actually helping the pollinators, beautifying your landscape, and let's say making more use out of a, a grassy roadside which somebody has to cut maybe once, twice, or three times a year. Now that requires very careful management. But all this... You know, it's, it's good for me sitting in the car as I drive by. Um, if I've partaken in it, it gives me a feel-good factor. It's good for bees. It's good for agriculture. It's good for pollination. It's win-win-win all over the place for this. Um, and obviously, this kind of crop, when you grow these kind of flowers, you only cut them in the fall because you don't want to cut the, the flowers when they're in bloom before the seeds fall. So you wait for the seeds to fall. Then you cut away this stuff. So you end up only cutting it once a year instead of cutting grass three times a year, then not knowing what to well, do. There you go. And you get, you, get, you get some cost savings because usually, the, uh, yeah. usually, usually <laughs> the government's keeping up the, uh, the highways, so the taxpayers will appreciate that. Yes. Talk, let's, let's close with talking a little bit about something we were visiting on uh, um, earlier. Um, you know, you're, you're an Irish company, and I think one of the things California really benefits, you know, this whole broad category of ag tech is really a global game and uh, you know there are a lot of uh, uh, entrepreneurial hotspots whether it's New Zealand, Australia, Israel, uh, Ireland, the, the UK but um, California is ultimately um, the destination for, for a lot of folks because it's the one place you can scale so that's that's good news for uh, the ag community that's trying to make progress and solve problems and realize new opportunities. But uh, talk, talk, a talk a little bit about, uh, at, at the end of the day, if, if a company is looking to scale, go back to Fiona's original vision, this interests me, and it's a business. California really is uh, uh, a place of opportunity for uh, entrepreneurial activity. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, this is my, my first visit to Western Growers here. Um, in Salinas and um, just looking around you know the people the logos it's a fascinating place to be and to a certain extent you know Ireland California in terms of tech go back a long way right. um, you know in, in my own city in Cork you know we, we have I think it's the European headquarters for manufacture of Apple um, and you know Intel Ireland Intel California we, we have lots of links and uh, then 
we would naturally tend to look this way because, you know, the market in California compared to the market we have in Ireland is, is very small. But also there, there's a kind of a hunger for technology we see here. There's a receptivity for technology, um, the great positivity. And, uh, you know, the, the experience, the people you meet, that and without kidding about, there's a lot of Irish people and Irish links in California. There are a few. Um, and uh, we, we have a kind of a... A mutual understanding between ourselves as to how, how how people deal with each other. Well, you know that's 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 a perfect way to uh, to finish up. And I suppose uh, since uh, this is our Saint Saint Patrick's Day edition, we can we can be glad that uh, I know I'm certainly glad every time I visit Ireland, Saint Pat Saint Patrick drove the snakes out of Ireland, but he we're glad he left the bees. So yeah, he certainly left the bees. And uh, we have um, there's a, a feast in February, um, which is a uh, a local saint, Saint Gubnet, which in, in English is Deborah, and she's the patron saint of bees um, in a, a town called Ballyvourney in, in County Cork. So she, she drove away all sorts of bad people from her monastery or her nunnery with, um, with honeybees. So well, you, you need to make sure the Irish Tourist Board gets on, gets on that one. We, we certainly do, and listen, Dennis, thanks very much. Well, thanks, for, uh, thanks for uh, visiting with us today. I think this will be... Uh, Kind of a fun, fun edition of Voices of the Valleys. Thanks for joining us on Voices of the Valleys today. Uh, have a happy St. Patrick's Day. And please join us again next week for another edition of Voices of the Valleys brought to you by Nova Home, who helps growers grow with heart and soil. You can listen to this and other episodes of Voices of the Valleys anytime by subscribing to the podcast. Just search Voices of the Valleys in your favorite podcasting app. Until next time, this has been Voices of the Valleys.